0: Okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, it's always, this is always a little harder morning to get through because of the race, but I think everybody who's going to come has made it, so thank you very much. So a couple of things we'll see, hopefully, that will change your life today. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens, but just think about this first. Um, a little antiphon from the Psalms. The Lord takes pleasure in His people; He adorns the humble with salvation. If I could convince you of one thing today, it's that God is pleased with you. Most Christians I know, most people I meet, have just the opposite idea, despite the evidence. So uh, that's one of the things I. There, there are two things I want to. I want to try to help with today, and I think they're, they're both life-changing. One is very simple. It's just simply that God loves you. And most people I meet, they just don't have that sense. But listen to this, just this little bit from, you know, from First John. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world doesn't know this is that it doesn't know him. But we are God's children, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. And then he goes on and talks about hope and purification and all that. But just this notion that God actually loves you. So we've, you know, we're in the liturgy, we've done one line. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. And just like in the Old Testament, just like in the temple in the Old Testament, God has come and made you his temple. You remember in 1 Kings 9 when... Solomon builds a temple, and then he says, oh, you're a really big God, and this is a really small temple. How do we know that you'll move in? And then God says, hey, I'll put my name there. And if I put my name there, I'm always present, and I'm for you and not against you, and I'll forgive all your sins, and I'll heal all your wounds, and life will be great. In the same way, when you are baptized, God puts his name on you, and he moves in. And so... St. Paul can say, don't you know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? How did that happen? Well, you were baptized. God loves you. He's for you. He's in you. He moved in. And yet we have an extraordinarily difficult time believing that because we're sinful. And we, it's not our default that God loves us and that we'll, all will be well. So that's, that's one thing I want to try to convince you of. The other is, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wait a little bit. But if I can just give you that... I've given you this little bit by Henry Nowen. So it's sort of the unmarked sheet if you have this. Does anybody need this? Hopefully I gave you one. You could teach seminary from the margin comments at St. John. Everything you need to know is there. But at least if you could start in this way. So, uh, Nowen. One thing we know for sure about our God. Our God is a God of the living and not the dead. God is life, God is love, God is beauty. God is goodness, God is truth. God doesn't want us to die. God wants us to live. Our God, who loves us from eternity to eternity, wants to give us life for eternity. Now, here's the thing. If you grew up in the church at all, or if you're even familiar with Christianity, you know that Christians say this. But it is the hardest thing in the world to act this way, to every moment to say, God loves me, even when we suffer, even when we're close to death, even when we're challenged, even when we've done something horrible. It's the most basic message in Christianity. God is love and God loves you. And it is the things that we're most forgetful about as Christians. If you could just remember this one thing, your entire life would change. Mine would too. When life was interrupted by our unwillingness to give our full yes to God's love, God sent Jesus to be with us and to say that great yes in our name and thus restore us to eternal life. So let's not be afraid of death. Now this is very important, You how you think about God. There is no cruel boss, no vengeful enemy, no cruel tyrant waiting to destroy us. Only a loving, always forgiving God, eager to welcome us home. Just that single thing. If we could. It's, it's so simple, but it's so difficult because we forget it every day. That God is love and that he loves us. Now, if you're, you know, read a little Luther, you would know that this is fundamental to Luther. This is where Luther says that more bombastically or systematically maybe, but, you know, he says things like, it doesn't matter that God exists, that's not important. It's whether he exists for you. Or when it comes to the Holy Supper, he, you know, reminds pastors uh, to display the host and say, the body of Christ for you, the blood of Christ for you, which is another way of saying that God loves you. I've given you then a second piece from... Chrysostom, that basically boils down to, it's this one that says on the top right, if God hates you, it doesn't help you, right? So I know that uh, some at this point might accuse the lawgiver, that's God, big L, and assert that the law is the cause of the fall. We must oppose that argument. We must plainly argue and demonstrate that God gave the law not because he hated humanity, or wanted to mark our nature with shame, but because he loved us and cared for us. Now, I'm not sure what you did exactly with Pastor Kendall last week, but I am sure about Pastor Kendall. And so, you know, the one thing I said to you last time I saw you a couple of weeks ago was, you know, I said, Is the, are the Ten Commandments law or gospel? Almost universally, we get the answer law, but they're, of course, the gospel before they're the law if you just think about the story. First, I don't know if Pastor Kendall said this to you, but first, you know that the text doesn't say Ten Commandments. The text says the Ten Words. It says the Ten Words. which is very important. Because we think about commandments like this. And so we think about God like this. But if you can imagine that God is love, If you can imagine that God is a God who loves you so much that he speaks to you, he tells you, he helps you, he loves you, right? And that all of life can be summed up in ten little words. And so, you know, he comes to the Israelites and he says, you're slaves, you're subhuman, you don't have a God, you don't have land, you don't have freedom, you don't have anything. So I'll take you out and we'll move across the Jordan River and you'll be my people, and I'll be your God, and I will care for you. And you'll always be able to find me. And once a week, you rest, and I'll take care of you. The Sabbath, right? And then when you go home, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Love your wife, love your husband, love your children. Be satisfied with what you've got. And I'll meet you here again next week. Because I know that life can be difficult. but. I love you, and I'll care for you, and I'll heal you, and I'll be your God, and I'll hear your prayers. This is going to be great, right? That's the 10 words from Exodus 20. So, the first thing is that God loves you. And then the second thing, and this is um, slightly more sophisticated, but simple, and also sort of life-changing. Um, and for you who have been around a little bit for Lutherans, you know, first use of the law, second use of the law, third use of the law, you know that's often debated and how it works, and people argue about it, and you're against the law, and you're too much law, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, here's a simple way to sort that out, and we'll do more about this later. Uh, but think about it this way. This in a single sentence from uh, Norman Nagel, he rests in perpetual light. Every word can be used two ways, a law way and a gospel way. So often you'll bump into pastors or professors who will say that there is law and and gospel already in Eden, and that's the way Lutherans pulled it up already. Not so. There's no law in Eden, because there's no sin in Eden, and there's nothing to accuse and nothing to condemn. In Eden, think of it this way, there is the second person of the Trinity, the word, who speaks words and these words are solely for your blessing even when he says don't touch this don't eat that don't lie to cheat or steal," be happy with what you've got those words are completely totally for your blessing so every word can be used two ways a law way and a gospel way and the reason uh, the Lord does that is because he loves you and wants to help you and wants to spare you pain and keep you holy. So these two things that God loves you, if we could embrace that and that when God speaks to us you know, those words can be used two ways a law way if we disagree with them or a gospel way if we agree with them so that's sort of what I want to move through today and if you think that way, then suddenly the whole world becomes clear but it'll take a moment to get there. So first, this whole notion that God loves you. Back to Chrysostom. In order that you would learn that the law was given as a means to help, listen to Isaiah. He gave the law in our support. One who pursues hatred does not give help. If God hates you, he doesn't help you, right? Again, the prophet declares, Your word is a lamp guiding my steps of light for my path. The one who pursues hatred does not dispel the darkness with his lamp, nor does he provide light to one who is wandering. Solomon says, The command of the Lord is the law, the lamp, the life, the reproach, and the rule. So the law is not only a help, not only a lamp, but also a light and life. Therefore these things are not for those who pursue hatred, not for those who will be lost, but for those who hold out and lift up their hand. Therefore the baptized... And so with every word uh, God speaks, what God is trying to do is to save you from yourself. God is trying to save you from being the person that you want to be. And he's trying to shape you into the person that he wants you to be. So your goal in life is not to be who you want to be. Your goal in life is to be whom God wants you to be. And there's this very simple way that he does it. He says, "Um, I love you, you're alive, you're mine, and here's how we live together for your peace and happiness, for your good and for your beauty. Now, we rarely, we can hardly, hardly believe that, right? We can hardly believe that. And so, most people I bump into have this sense that God is out to ruin their fun and most of their life is meant to avoid God or make our own way or figure it out for ourselves or to get the good that God is withholding from us. Not true at all. Right? And so this very basic notion, you're a very kind man, I'll tell you what I'll split it with you so we go faster. Thank you friend. This notion that somehow God has it in for us that God hates us, that God doesn't want our best. It's crazy talk, and yet we talk that way all the time. And so this little bit from Robert Capon, quite a genius of a guy, about how you work with the ten words. Ready? The reason for not going out and sinning all you like is the same as the reason for not going out and putting your nose in a slicing machine. But of course, this isn't how we think of our sins, but this is what sin is like. The reason for not going out and sinning all you like is the same as the reason for not going out and putting your nose in a slicing machine. It's dumb, stupid, and no fun. Some individual sins may have pleasure still attached to them because of the residual goodness of the realities that they are abusing. Adultery can indeed be pleasant, And tying one on can amuse. But betrayal, jealousy, love grown cold, and the gray dawn of the morning after are nobody's idea of a good time. See, there, there it is. This is just so simple, right? That God loves you, and God wants your best, and so God tells you what will help you and what will hurt you. And we're so mixed up, we think that um, listening somehow diminishes us. We think that our own way is the best way. This, of course, is the very first story in Scripture. Adam thinks he'll be a better God than God. And so he brings the entire creation down to ruin because he can't listen and he can't obey. The difference between Jesus and everybody else is that Jesus can do what he's told. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but that's the difference between Jesus and everybody else. Of course, there are some other differences, but the difference between Jesus and everybody else is that Jesus can do what, he to- what he's told. And so, um, words that are perfectly good, like love and obedience, right? these words become These words become difficult words for us. But here it is, from Deuteronomy, and I can show you in the New Testament too. Now this is, you know, after the Lord has brought them out of Egypt, after he said, I love you, after he said, you'll be my people and I'll be your God, after he said, this will be great, then he says to them, hey, I've set before you life and good, death and evil. So these basic binary choices in life. It's life or it's death. It's good or it's evil. It's God's way or my way. It's love or it's hate. It's very, very simple. And then kind of very basic, again, this very basic stuff. Faith agrees. People have such trouble figuring out what faith is and they want to talk about it in my faith and your faith. It's this simple. Faith agrees. Unfaith. Disagrees. It's that easy. God comes to you. He loves you. He wants your best. He tells you what is true. He tells you what is good. He tells you what is beautiful. He embraces you and holds you dear. He makes you his own child. He puts his name on you. He makes you his temple. We're still the first line of the liturgy. This has all happened in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's all the farther we are. And all this has already happened to you. And all he looks for is your amen. Right? But of course, you're no different. I'm no different than they were. Today I've put before you life and good, death and evil. If you obey, and now can you hear obey as a good thing? Can you hear it as, oh, don't don't put your nose in that meat slicer. Can you hear that? Obedience to that is a good thing, right? If you obey the commandments of the Lord, the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God. So now this is extraordinarily important because love equals obedience. Every once in a while, I preach at the seminary. Almost inevitably, I preach about love as a as obedience, and almost inevitably, I get letters of how I don't understand law and gospel. To love is to obey. Here it is in the text. God loves you. He made you. He welcomes you. He helps you. He begs you to obey. And to obey is to flourish. If you obey the commandments, walking in his ways, keeping his commandments, his statutes and rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord will bless you right? But if your heart turns away, if you disagree, right? If you agree, everything is going to go well. If you disagree, yeah, if you disagree, then if you're drawn away to worship other gods, yourself, the world, things, people, then you'll perish. Hell is when you get your way forever. Hell is when you get your own way forever. That's what hell is. You say to God, I'm better at this than you are, and God will not force you to be saved. It's one of the basic things about human beings that we're free even to choose our death. Right? Hell is when you get your way forever. You shall not live long. You know what? If you don't listen, if you don't obey, if you don't love, if you don't walk behind me, then you'll perish. You won't live long in your land. Right? So I call heaven and earth as a witness against you today that I've given you the chance. I've set before you, life and death, love and hate, good and evil, right? My people, not my people. I've set before you, life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life, which is just to say amen since he's already chosen them. Choose life that you may live and your offspring may live. So you'll live and your family will be great and life will go on and... Now, I know, you know, like every family, you know, if you want want to know if your family's perfect, sit down with them at Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? So uh, I told you I have a friend who's an ER doc uh, in the city. He said, working the holidays are always the most interesting days. The things that people do to each other over the dinner table, right? He's an eye specialist. Once he took a meat hook out of a guy, one guy put a meat hook in his brother's eye. I'm like, huh. That's this text, right? You can, have it the way, uh, you can have it the way God gives it, or you could have it your own way, but you can't have it both ways. So choose life. That you may live, your family may live, you'd love God, you'd obey his voice, you'd hold fast to him. He just says the same thing over and over again, six or seven or eight times. For God is your life and the length of your days, and you'll dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham and Isaac, And Jacob, you'll dwell in that land, the land that he gave you. So life isn't particularly difficult. I mean, it's not complex in any way. But it is, um, we find it horribly, uh, horribly difficult to give up on ourselves. We find it horribly difficult to listen. We find it horribly difficult to live out the life that we've been given to live. We just... We can't quit ourselves. We, 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 this is the only sin. The only sin is pride. The only th- sin is thinking that we're God. The only sin is agreeing with ourselves and disagreeing with God. The only sin is turning our back, right? The only sin is choosing death over life. So, the whole... You'll see how these things <coughs> all break down into... Uh, such an easy thing this is your life touch holy don't touch evil touch holy don't touch unholy touch holy don't touch evil so you see how how easy life is now so God loves you God speaks to you God blesses you God holds you dear God stays with you forever God only wants your good God wants to give you this beautiful life, right? It's all yours. Faith says, amen, or more please, or thank you very much, or this is great, right? The promised land is fabulous. Faith agrees. Unfaith disagrees. Or, uh, faith touches holy things, and unfaith touches evil things. Faith embraces the ten words as a gift and a blessing. Unfaith rejects the ten words as ruining my fun. So, your whole life as God's child, you wake up in the morning, you say, God loves me, and I'll touch holy things. And of course, the liturgy is just an extended exercise a really intense example of touching holy things. So you come in and you touch the water, and then you touch the words, and then you touch the incense, and then you touch the bread and the wine, come body and blood. You touch the holy name, you touch the scriptures, you touch all holy things, and you let them have their way with you. You let them use you well. You're another sort of person in the world. You're not like other people. You're a chosen... People, a holy race, God's own. We'll read that at Christmas time. But you see how basic this is. First, God loves you and would never hurt you. God loves you and would never leave you. God loves you. You are God's child. God loves you. And God only wants your best, so He gives you holy things. How am I doing? You okay? Does this make sense? You might say to me, why did I get up? I mean, it was just for the donut, right? Because you knew this already. <laughs> but the problem is, if you knew this already, we wouldn't have the troubles that we have. Because we're depressed, and we despair, and we sin. And even if it's kind of just a, kind of a, a, a sub-level cynicism about the world, right? Or where we cut the corners, or where we are hypocritical, or where we... Don't choose against ourselves when we ought. Right? The saints, right? The people of wisdom. The mothers and fathers in the desert. You know, what do they know that we don't know? They know that God is always for them and never against them. They know that God loves them in any circumstance. They know that God will protect them. Right? They know that God is holy. And so they know that they are meant to touch, to embrace to rejoice in the impulses of God, and to leave their own impulses behind. There's a thousand ways to say this, but it's only one thing. Touch holy. Don't touch unholy. It's the whole Christian life. It's everything that there is. You still okay? Are you convinced? I'm not sure you're convinced, but we'll see. Questions about anything? No, you're okay? Because after this, I'm going to demand unilateral obedience. Except from you, Jody. What? I'm just interested you know. Yes. How did the word, how did the commandments get in there? It says words. Uh, because. did uh, it change? I mean. <laughs> because we always have to, um, you know, you have to translate words. It's a little like in the scriptures, for example. They give you different. I'll give you a word that you're familiar with, with Torah, right? You know this Jewish word, Torah which we always translate as the law. The law of the Lord is good, right? Who for Lutherans, that kind of sets us on edge because I know that the law condemns me, right? accuses me, it doesn't condemn me, it accuses me, right? accuses me of being a sinner. So, um, I mean, the word Torah doesn't really mean the law. What it means is the words of God that have been given on, right? It's because it goes from Hebrew to Greek to English and something is lost in translation, right? So this is part of the point of having a good look at it, because then, or even this text we just read about, you know, choose this day whom you will serve from Joshua, or choose the holy, right? What we just read, people are always like, okay, it's up to me. No, here's the thing, God has already chosen you, right? He's already chosen you. It's like when you have children, you've had children, they can't choose whether they want to be your children or not. They are your children, right? They can choose to act like idiots, or they can choose to act like not idiots, but... They're always your children. That choice they don't have, right? So uh, we just have to you just have to kind of get to the full measure of what the what the words are supposed to are supposed to mean to us. So anything else? Other stuff? Okay. What? Yeah. I know. The thing is, is I didn't. I forgot to. This is a new. You know, this is all sort of new. And then I'm like, yeah, I know I can do this. Anybody can do that. But that's easy, right? Yeah, so what? I want this thing to turn back around. In fact, I may have to close it and open it again to make it work because it makes me crazy. All right. um, Now, lo, you will say to me, you know, where did Lutherans ever get that? So I take you to no less than the large catechism. Thank you, friend. Because sometimes um, Lutherans act like this is a weirdness they've never heard of. But my usual problem with Lutherans is they've never read any Luther. So, um, you know, when people get nervous about wearing chauzebles or swinging incense, I have pictures of Luther doing the same. You know, just like uh, we've got pictures of all of you now for blackmail purposes. So here, this single word, this is so important because this will make you It'll make your life so much easier when you try to figure out how to, how to live, how to work. It'll also extricate you from a lot of internecine Lutheran wars if you sort of work with this. So this very simple thing. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Or very simple first commandment. Don't have other gods, right? Law or gospel. It's the wrong question. The Lord who loves you says... I love you so much. I've come to resurrect you. I've baptized you. I've made you my own. Please be faithful to me. Don't have any other gods. Which is this great blessing. And the only proper response is, thank you so much. I love you. You love me. I love you back. Right? Gospel. But if you take other gods, you run against God, you turn your back on him, and you create your own dismal future. It's a great sadness. Now here, you can, uh, you can find it here already. Uh, this is from the large catechism. So here we have the Ten Commandments, a summary of divine teaching on what we are do to make our whole life pleasing to God. So, God is pleased with you. How can you keep it pleasing, right? They're the true fountain from which all good works must spring. How do you know what's good? God told you. God is love, and He told you what's good. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Be happy with what you've got. Love your family, honor your parents. Be faithful to them, be faithful to God. Don't use my name in vain. I'll meet you here on Sunday. I'm God, right? He's told you what's good. What's holy? The Ten Commandments. So, apart from these commandments, nothing is good. Now, um, just go down to the bottom. Oh, actually, the next, line, the next paragraph is quite nice, too, especially for um, Christians who kind of fight a lot. It seems to me that we shall have in our hands... I'm sorry. It seems to me that we shall have our hands full to keep these commandments, what? Practicing gentleness patience, love toward enemies, chastity, kindness, etc. As all these virtues involved. More and more I hear Christians who are feel the press of the world talking about the Christian militant or the army of Christ or, you know, cutting people down for the sake of God. Yeah, be extraordinarily careful. You know, occasionally you get that language, but, you know, You're not a prophet and you're not Israel, and you don't have the kind of divine directive that some other folks have had in the past. You know, um, the church militant is not the most favorable way to proceed. Um, And here it is, you know, from Luther. Like, your life is supposed to be, be, be gentleness, patience, kindness, love toward enemies. So I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Love me and keep my commandments. Right? Now, here's the bit. Every word works two ways. As we said before, these words contain both a threat and a promise. So, threat is the law. So, now for you who are, you know, kind of advanced course in law and gospel, the law is irresistible. It works on you no matter what you think. It calculates, it weighs, it judges. It accuses. And can't even condemn. The law is irresistible, right? You cannot escape it. Holy is what it is, and it will have the last word. The gospel is resistible, deformable, rejectable, gift, blessing but also suffers itself to be ignored. The proof is Jesus on the cross. Jesus comes as true God and also true man. He gives himself in love to us and we reject him. Right? Jesus is the gospel in person. So the law cannot be rejected. It's irresistible. But the gospel is irresistible. You can say, no, I'll, I'll be my own God, Adam in the garden, right? So if you disagree, if you reject, it'll threaten you, the same word. Don't have any other gods. If you say, like Adam, I'll be my own God, you're always under the curse of that. There's always the weight of that. You're always running against the universe. You're always running in the way of evil and against holiness, You're walking in the way of darkness and not in the way of light. It's constant judgment and accusation. Same word. Don't have any other gods. If you say, that is fabulous. Thank you for resurrecting me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for having a gracious disposition toward me. Thank you for blessing me. Come what may, I'm in your hands. The very same word, "I am the Lord your God," don't have any other gods, is the best news you've ever heard. You see how this works. One word, same word, works two ways. Right? If you, you know, if you're happy to tell the truth, then um, don't bear false witness is the best news you've ever had. Imagine if our world, imagine in our world, if everybody told the truth, be a very very different place. But in the end, you would find it very consoling, reliable, transparent, authentic, all the things that people talk about but don't really do, right? So, because the reason those are attractive is because they're holy. You know that the easiest way to break a relationship is to lie. So Satan is the father of lies, and every sin begins with a lie. This is the reason you sin. Because every sin begins with this lie. God doesn't love me. When you believe that, then you sin. God doesn't want my best. God doesn't know what's true. God doesn't show me what is beautiful. God has turned his back on me. God doesn't love me. That is the lie that spawns every sin. Please, John. Say it again. In the you do end up hiding in the dark. Because the thing is, someday it all, it all comes true, right? I mean, that's a, it's such a beautiful text. The Lord is walking in the cool of the day, right? So, he's taking his regular walk. And looking for Adam and Eve, for company, right? For truth, for relationship, for love. Where are my friends? Where are you, right? We're hiding ourselves. Why are you hiding yourselves, because we disagreed with you. You said, don't eat that, and then we ate it, right? There's there's nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. So, every commandment, every word, has a law and a prophet. Not only to terrify, so if you say, I'm God and you're not, at some point, that'll be a terrible, terrible thing. When you sink into your own despair, when demons take you over, when you find out there's no road home when you've destroyed your family or your own life, pick something, right? So, that same, it can be a threat, destruction, judgment, accusation, condemnation, hell, or it can be a fabulous thing. So the Lord says, you know, hey, don't put your nose in the cheese slice. Warn us, but also then, look at this, to attract us, and allure us. And so to say to people there's a God who loves you is an extraordinarily attractive proposition. That somebody in this world actually loves you, cares for you, wants to do you good, will put you and your interests before themselves and their interest, which is the basic definition of divine love. God loves you so, He'd rather die than hold your sins against you. Remarkable stuff. That Jesus would die for you rather than save himself and let you die. Amazing stuff, right? And all that's bundled up in, I'm your God, or don't have the other gods. right? So these words contain both a threat and a promise, not only to terrify and warn us, don't do that, but to attract us and allure us. Come into the promised land. Have this. These words ought to be received and esteemed as a serious matter to God because he himself declares how important the commandments are to him, how strictly he watches over them, fearfully and terribly, punishing those who despise and transgress them, but how richly he will reward and bless and bestow all good things on those who prize them. God loves you, God rewards you, God blesses you, God bestows good things on you, God gladly acts for your good for all those who act and live in accordance with them, who agree. So you see, you know, sometimes theologians make a living out of making things complicated, but it's just so simple. God is love, God loves you, God tells you what is best. Touch what is best. Touch what's holy. The Christian life is extraordinarily simple. Our problem is that we decide then to argue about what's holy, right? Does God really want me in church every Sunday? Does God really want me to tithe? Does God really want me to tell the truth? Am I really supposed to be happy with my life the way it is, right? Does God really love me? Um, You know, and you can kind of keep going here. Sin, and he'll be moved to wrath. Trust him alone, and he will offer us every grace and blessing. Right? So every word works two ways. If you can hold that in your head, it'll clean up this notion of how the law is used. Yes, of course, the law does show us what is holy. You know, the three uses of the law are true. But the last one is the gospel use of the law, where the Lord blesses us and tells us, you know, what's good for us. So does this make sense to you at all? I hope, I hope. Question, John? Because we have to, uh and so each other. Well, John, it's because you're a damn sinner from Bad Axe, Michigan. Yes, that's right. I mean, there's no point in like beating around the bush. The year's almost over, right? Let's like get it all out. You know, yeah, I mean, we think we're smarter than God. What is, what is the... The only sin is pride. Is the, the only sin is pride. The only sin is that we have other gods. Everything else manifests from that. So you at some point in your day, like I do, think I'm way smarter than God. If I didn't think that, I would do exactly what he asked me to do. Whenever I sin... I say, I'm smarter than God here. That's what it is, right? When I'm selfish, when I lie, when I hate, when I'm cynical, when I despair, just pick one. All of those say, God doesn't love me, I'll need to make my own way. Every sin begins with a lie. This is the lie that begins every sin. God doesn't love me. You would think, see, I mean, the thing is, you kind of wonder why you got out of bed for this, right? Because you knew this already from, like, second grade VBS in Outer Bad Acts. You, you already knew that God is holy and God loves you, and your best course in life is to do the holy things that the God who loves you asks you to do. to in the garden. Well, yeah, every iteration of, you know, choosing our own way is hiding in the garden. It's also an iteration of hell on earth, right? So... I mean, this is, this is the only story we've got. How are you doing? You still okay? Yes, friend. In, in the third paragraph, yeah. we have the word jealous. Yeah. Can you expand a little? Yeah, because we're in our Torah, jealous. We should throw in fear as well, right? Because there's, there's all these words that um, don't mean exactly what we think. I, it's probably, I, the Lord, am a jealous God, right? Is that where it is? Third paragraph, yeah. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Uh, well, if you think about jealousy just in general, let's kind of work from what we know, right? If you think about jealousy, what is it what, what would you say it means kind of in English, just basic English? Oh boy. Uh, you're kind of unhappy that someone else has something that you don't. Good. So and that's that's actually the common way that we use it. Um, let me see if I can I can uh, brush it up a little bit or just uh, what about, I want what's mine? Would that be okay? That kind of takes the, I'm angry at somebody else about something, right? So let's just say, I want what's mine. Gosh, that reads, this reads really well then. So, I, the Lord your God, am a God who wants what's, what's mine. You know, like you and your kids, right? I want what's mine. I want my people. I want what's baptized. I want holiness. I want love, Right? I'm a jealous God, right? And then what happens? I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. I let them have their way. You know how this works, right? This is why when, it's a little crazy. Every once in a while we get somebody who says, I'm like, you seem so happy here, why didn't you join? And they say, well, my kids didn't like it. And then of course, I always say something kind of smart-alecky like, you know, Let your kids make the small decisions like how to invest your 401k and um, what kind of car you're going to drive and whether or not they want to go to school. But you make the big decisions like where you're going to go to church, right? What happens to us? You know, so we give in to our kids. I can't tell you, you know, is there a greater idol in our society than our children? I mean, maybe in my generation, you know, now not so much because children are kind of have taken the German turn or... You know, they're not so important, but... Uh, I only say that because when we lived in Germany, there were, we saw an advertiser apartment that they said, two-bedroom house, one bedroom under the stairs, suitable for a dog or small child. You kind of go, okay, right? So, uh, I'm sorry, I was free associating without letting you in on the rest of the story. <clears throat> yeah, so, um, you know... I love you, and, but if you want to go your own way, so if you don't want to bring your kids to church, you don't want to baptize them, you don't want to have them confirmed, and you don't want them to know anything, pretty soon they'll be turned around by the third or fourth generation as if they never knew me. They're little pagans. They'll make up their own gods. How about something like that? And that makes me cranky. You know why? Because you and your kids and their kids and their kids all belong to me. Because I have a long memory about who created them, and what I want from them and how I love them and what I've done for them, right? So I wonder if we can bury all that into this, right? I, the Lord your God, am jealous. I want my stuff back. But if you want to go your own way, then hell is when I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. If you hate me, you're on your own. It's not even so much that God hates you back. He just lets you have your way. It's a, it's a horrible thing to have your own way. Just horrible, right? Because, what does Jesus say? Out of the heart proceeds all kinds of malice, hatred, murder. You remember this adultery, the text for out of the heart proceeds. That's not what goes into people, what comes out of them that, that kills them. But I show mercy to a thousand generations. Very nice stuff. Yes, please. How does this, you know, Luther, Luther wrote about freedom of yeah. And, 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 and that's different from how you talk about freedom. Right. Yeah. Can you, can you help distinguish between the two? Because I, I, I think it might be important to talk about. Could, could we're talking about free to do this or you're free to do that. Right? Uh, God letting us have our way as uh, not hating us, but, right, uh, he's not making us right, the gospel is a gift, so he's not forcing it on you. Can you, can you help The very first thing we did from Romans 6 is you're here and God picks you up and puts you here. You're dead, now you're alive. Inside this circle, inside the church, inside Christ, inside the body, everything is good and true and right and alive. And outside, Everything else is dead. Freedom is when you live to the edges and you enjoy every good gift that God has given you. So, freedom isn't license. If you decide to go out here, you're dead again. It was your own move, but when you hear, <laughs> you're a slave to sin or this is the demonic, right? You're never free. You're either a slave to the Lord or a slave to the demons. You see, part of the illusion of freedom is that we think we're somehow in control or we're the most powerful, right? We are so far down the food chain in terms of beings in the universe. You know, there's... Angels and archangels and powers and principalities, right? And thrones and dominions. All the way up to the Lord Himself. I mean, we're so far down the food chain in terms of intelligence or strength or longevity. And yet we think that we are masters. So your choice is you can be free in the Lord to do holy things, or you can be dead in the demonic to do terrible things. And at your death, um, your choice will be solidified. So hell is when God gives you your way forever. And heaven is when God gets his way forever. In the same way, holiness, beauty, life, love, meaning is when God has his way with you. And cynicism and despair and hatred and lies and evil and destruction and murder is when you have your way with you. So you're either free out here or you're free in here. Pick one, but the notion of freedom is limited at best and an illusion in reality, right? You're free only to the extent of your strength and your strength physically, intellectually, and spiritual, spiritually is not that great, right? So freedom isn't license. Freedom is simply, uh, you know, to work at the extent of our powers, for good or for evil. Pick one, right? And you're going to say pick one because you've already been resurrected and exposed to good. You have the chance for that. We well, see this really just basics. Everything we've talked about, it's, it's just so simple, right? God loves us. God is holy. In love, God tells us what is holy so we can live. That's all there is to life. right? There's very few few things you need to pay attention to, but we don't pay attention to them very well, and sometimes not at all. What is holiness? It's there in the Ten Commandments. It's there in the person of Christ who is the embodiment of the Ten Commandments. Right? There's all kinds of things that tell us what holiness is. The Beatitudes. Right? So God is holy. God is love. And God who loves us gives us holiness and so gives us life now and forever. Simple stuff. Sin is to say no to all of that. Right? It's a, you know, it's, it's amazing, it's amazing how, how we have such devastating problems because we make such simple mistakes. And because of original sin, which, you know, um, gives us a natural disposition to choose against God, or because sin always makes it hard for us to see, and hard for us to hear, and hard for us to think, and hard for us to act. We wake up, and as Luther says, we daily sin much and indeed deserve nothing but punishment, but the resurrection, but your baptism, but the Eucharist, but the Ten Commandments, but God who is love, right? Here's the thing. In joining St. John, this is the one thing we're trying to do. If you want this, be my guest. We couldn't be happier. If you don't, you're always going to be miserable here because this is all we talk about. We got one song, we sing it over and over and over again. This is it. God is holy, God loves you, let's go. Right? That's all there is. And the liturgy is an extension of that, and you being here is an extension of that, and being together. I heard there were awful crowds on Wednesday. I wasn't here. We apologize and we'll buy dinner for anybody who, you know didn't get a bobblehead doll as being one of the first 150 who showed up. So uh, you surprised us. We guessed at how many people would show up and we were overwhelmed. So uh, come back next week. We'll probably promise we'll have enough food for you. And if you haven't come Wednesday night, come for dinner at 6 and then for prayers by candlelight. 7 We'll have you out by 7.30 like clockwork. It'll be 29 minutes and you'll be out. Um, you can go home and get your jammies off. Questions just any more about any of this stuff? Yes, please. So Luther wrote, um, after our baptism, when we sin, that the Holy Spirit departs from us, and given that we've all that time, can you expand on what? Yeah, so one is, I either want to see the quote, or I want to disavow Luther. Let's pick one. <coughs> um, but, yes, um, it's, it's, no, no, you may be reading it right. Luther gets be a bit bombastic sometimes. But it's a little bit. Um, it's a little bit. St- you know. Let me put it to you in a different way. How much would you have to sin for the Lord to give up on you? You got a text right there. Yeah. You know, this is kind of tough going now. First, you get a text out, and now you get a text out. This is. In- I liked it better when I just said stuff and you nodded along and we went ahead. Okay. What are we reading here? Small card articles. Okay, the first thing is he's mad, okay? So I just want to start with that. (laughs) All right, so I'm just going to read it to you because there's, there's so much good stuff here. It's necessary to know and to teach that when holy people, now this is really important between the commas, aside from the fact that they still possess and feel original sin and daily repent and strive against it, when holy people fall into open sin, I'm going to translate this, this is like what you would, if you're a good Catholic boy, which you never were, but you could probably find one in here. We're talking about is mortal sins, right? So um, you shoot your next-door neighbor between the eyes, right, or, 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 or cheat on your wife, right? When holy people fall into open sin, and then, look, he gives the example. As David fell into adultery, murder, and blasphemy, three of the, of, of the mortal sins, right? Faith and the Holy Spirit have departed from them." So um, Lutherans don't always like to talk this way, but there's Luther, you saved the day. The distinction between mortal and venial sins, or if, you, if I can say it to you this way, big sins and little sins, right? So there are some sins that will grind you down, and there are some sins that will kill you. And so, for example, to go next door and shoot your neighbor between the eyes, one would say, the Holy Spirit has left him. To be that depraved, to rape another person, to, to molest a child. There are things that where you would go, there are things where you go, the Holy Spirit was nowhere near this, right? So adultery, murder, right? Blasphemy, these, these things would have been where you, you kind of go, was, you know, that would be not even a close call. So this distinction between what's mortal, what kills you, and venial, what grinds you down. And of course you confess all of them move back. People can be restored from these things, of course, but it takes a lot of work. Uh, It takes a lot of work to come back from such a thing. Okay, anything else? Wow, that's weird. Okay. Uh, I'm all dizzy. Um, Thanks for coming today, especially uh, when the race is on. We always have one race day and it's always a little hard to get 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 cooking. So we're grateful that you were here. Thank you for that. Um, If you have questions let me know. We'll go next week. We'll probably go the next week because already on your radar if you want to join Easter Vigil is the day verily you will say to me we celebrate with my family in New York City on Easter to which I'll say that's okay. Um, It'll all be great. They have Easter in New York too. But we're kind of aiming at. The church for centuries has sort of welcomed new people in at the vigil, so we'll aim at that. It's quite a lot of fun, actually. Uh, And Christmas is quite a lot of fun, too. So just, if you're newer here, Wednesday nights, there's free dinner. Just come. Everything in the church is free. There's free dinner. And then at 6, come any time in there, and then from 7 to 7.30, and then go home. And then on Christmas Day, there'll be a service. On Christmas Eve, there'll be a couple of services. There'll be lessons and carols. So, Sometimes it's a little dicey if you have family in who never go to church or um, You know or practicing another religion or something like that, but you want to bring them So there's just lessons and carols at at the early service at 4 I think and then um, at 7 uh, The Eucharist will be here So we tend always to have um, our evening services at 7 our daytime services at 10 a.m. So 10 a.m. on Christmas there'll be a service And then normal service. We don't tend to juggle our schedule because then you you don't have to think about it too much, right? You can just reliably say there'll be a service. Yes, please. What are your lessons? So we'll start start with Genesis um, and read a lesson, a a scripture. It's like King's College. It's modeled on King's College. So you read a lesson and then there's a musical bit. And then there, you know, so basically it chases the prophecies through the Old Testament and then into some of the things you may not have heard in advance, which is the angel coming to Mary, Mary going to Elizabeth, the Magnificat, those kinds of things, right? So there'll be a... There is a sermon, there's no Eucharist, though. So it's Bible readings and hymns or musical pieces. It's beautiful. The musicians here are startling. I mean, it's really... It's unbelievable. It's otherworldly. It's so nice. And it begins with this ancient chant that Peter does a cappella from the font that announces Christmas. It is the most moving thing. You just kind of go... How does anybody do that? First, the people who wrote it, and then second, you know, his ability to sort of, he has the perfect church voice. I mean, it's just, so, it's just a very nice, very nice night. So, yeah, we'd love to see it. Questions about anything else? I should let you go. You've been very patient. Please, as always, take the food. If we did a good job, there'll be Ziploc bags and stuff out there, but take every last thing that's out there, please. Don't leave anything um, all right, next week uh, we'll have a little bit of a go. I don't know exactly what we'll do, but we should talk about getting forgiven pretty soon because we've assured everybody that they're big sinners, but we should probably come to, the, come to the repentance part, which is actually some of the most beautiful stuff in Scripture. I mean, we'll read the prodigal son story and the woman caught in adultery story, and, you know, it's, just, it's very, very nice. So anyway, next week, love you. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father Okay, thanks. See you soon.